This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Beverly Elliott to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. And actually, it's a it's a very special episode because Beverly doesn't know what's in store because she has not listened to the previous 142 episodes, so she has no idea. <laughs> All right, this is where the thesis statement comes. Okay, Beverly. In researching Beverly Elliott for this episode and thinking about my own interactions with her over the years and experiences watching her on stage and on screen. I realized a couple of things. The first thing I realized is that I know a lot about her. I know that she is likely the most famous person to come out of Listowel, Ontario. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I know that she is a prolific actress who has appeared in more than 100 film and television productions from 21 Jump Street, Danger Bay and the Beachcombers to Harper's Island, The X-Files and Unforgiven. I know that she popped up in last week's episode of Nancy Drew. I know that people all over the world love her for her role on, as Granny on ABC's Once Upon a Time. I know that Clint Eastwood name-checked her when he won an Academy Award for Unforgiven. I know from seeing her perform at the Leo Awards that she's a hell of a singer. And I know from her 2014 woman's show, which was called didn't see that coming, that she's a firecracker of a storyteller. I know that she's always been warm and kind to me whenever I've run into her at film events, remember events? And I know I've never ever heard one bad word said against her. So I realized that I know a lot about her. The second thing I realized, that there's still so much more I want to know. So today we are going to dig deep into the Beverly Elliott story. Beverly Elliott, hi. Hello. My goodness, that's quite an intro. Thank you. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Um, as I mentioned to you before I hit record, you do have the opportunity to rebut. Um, is there anything in the thesis statement that you would like to rebut? There's one thing, actually. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay. You said I was the most famous person to come out of Listowel, Ontario. Said that you were likely. Oh, likely. Yeah. Likely. Okay. Like well, challenge likely, and I would say Jared Kiso's had a few more um, bigger. He's had you know some very good success, and he's now, from well. First of all, I didn't know he was from Listowel. That is, Letter Kenny is actually Listowel. 
he's just chosen a different name. And, well, he's not here to defend, but based on growing up in Listowel and the farmers and the way people talk and small-town life, he took that and ran with it and created Letter Kenny, which is actually a small town in Ireland, and um, made his show and has had all the success. You have, honestly, we're starting this by you blowing my, my mind. When you watch Letterkenny then, I'm, I, I don't know if you watch Letterkenny, but have, if you've... I have, and I've, I see, my, you know, my cousins, I see my next door neighbor, I see that it's the world, it's the way people speak. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, now, was Jared Kiso thanked from the stage of the Academy Awards? I don't believe he was. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's what that's what I got to say to that. Also, we love Jared Kiso here. <laughs> Maybe it's not likely. <laughs> okay, so Beverly, I have been asking all of my guests during the, these pandemic times um, a, a question, and I ask this from my heart. Uh, and in the before times, this used to be a rhetorical device to kind of move to the next part of the conversation. But I am actually asking from my heart here. Do you know what question it is? Oh God, I have no idea. I have no idea. How are you? Oh, that's such a that's such an honest inquiry. Um, I am actually I'm really good. I'm really good. I have found this pandemic to be so um, many things. So many things. In the beginning, I have to say I felt nothing but relief. Of course, fear for what was going on and worried about the world and people and dying and, and getting sick. But as far as I've been in this business since 1982, 83, um, and the chase, the hustle, when's the next gig? When's my next job? Should I be doing this? Oh, I better audition for that. How come? Why don't I know about, am I singing at this thing? 35 years of hustling, it stopped. Mm. And I, and because I'm a person that's driven, like I would never stop unless I was booked in Mexico for two weeks. And even then with the internet, you can go, oh my God, I've got to put an audition on tape. So to just actually stop, stop, stop and know that I'm not missing anything and no one else is working was so good for my nervous system, for my soul, for my creativity, for my family, for my health, everything. So I really appreciated that. I didn't know I needed it. Yeah. And I, probably three months before I even, three to four months before I even had desire again. People said, you know, are you writing? Are you, um, you know, learning a new instrument? No, no. What were you doing? <laughs> I'm not doing nothing. I was watching Netflix. <laughs> I was <laughs> hanging around the house. All the same things that everyone else was doing. I made some bread. I, you know, but that was about it. My drive was just at zero. And I, I wasn't worried because I knew I was actually exhausted. I was really exhausted. And uh, then it's, I started in, you know, come July, I think I started teaching again online. And at first it was like, oh, and how am I going to teach once a week for three hours? That's a lot, you know, but every little thing that I started incorporating again, energy returned in a good way. And um, I just started to feel alive again, but rejuvenated. 
you know. And I've started an exercise program and a diet program, so I took off the COVID weight because, you know, five pounds showed up watching Netflix. You need popcorn, you need chocolate. Um, and then I just, you know, flipped it and went, wait a second, I'm going to use this time, all this time I have for me. I'm not driving from North Vancouver to some audition or some some set or whatever. I'm going to look after me. And so I did. So I've dropped 25 pounds and I'm hiking and snowshoeing and I'm just oh. feeling fantastic. Yeah. That, that is really admirable. Um, all that I have done with my COVID weight is buy myself a bigger bra to stuff it in. Because I've... <laughs> I give you some of my old ones. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, are you a good baker of bread? Like, did that go well? No, uh, no. I made one loaf and then that was not happening. So I used the rest to make cinnamon buns. And then my sourdough starter became a sourdough ender. And I just got rid of it. Yeah. And I can't eat that kind of food anyway. I have one, I want 20. So <clears throat> I think I just was doing it once again. I have that personality is, oh, is everyone else doing that? Well, I better. I better try it. I better do it too. I don't have that personality. Um, I got hungry for bread. Uh, but I, I can't bake to save my life. So I discovered, though, that um, Cobb's Bread, which is a bakery around the Lower Mainland, that they deliver. And so if I ordered and placed my online order at like 8 a.m., by 9 a.m., there would be a fresh sourdough loaf and some chocolate croissants at my door. They don't offer it anymore, but it was like, you know, it was like March and April when we were. Wow. See, that's just danger for me. That's death. Yeah. Well, it's good that they don't do it. Okay. Well, they don't do it anymore. So, okay. I want to go back in time. Okay. Wow. You know what's amazing, though, is that usually when I ask these questions, people have listened to other episodes. I'm not going to give you a hard time. Not too hard of a time. Do you remember the first time that I interview, interviewed you and you? Garden. It was, at, it was at Neverland. And uh, you were half an hour late because you drove in the wrong direction. Oh, that's so normal. Yeah. <laughs> I remember song lyrics. I remember phone numbers. I cannot get from point A to point B and not even a third time. People go, you've been here before. Yes. Yeah. So um, if you, if you had listened, like I always ask people like to choose what is their time travel vehicle of choice. So you get to choose for, or make your own, you know, so you could choose time. Yeah. Let's take a broom. <laughs> Let's just fly through the sky and uh, zoom. Get yeah, back. like like bewitched. Okay, so we're zooming. We're zooming. We're going to Listowel. We're zooming. Zooming. I said broom. Well, no, we're zooming through the air on the broom. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Let's go back in time. I want paint me a picture of your childhood. Like, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grow up? Um, well, I grew up in a, a farming community and my, I, no, but I didn't know any actors. I didn't know any creative people. Um, so I, but somehow I knew that I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing and I wanted to perform. And so it was from, you know, wh whatever we're born with, you're just given this, these desires. I know that I used to set up all my dolls. I don't even know if we had stuffed animals back in 
those days. Um, but I'd set up my dolls and I would do it in the front porch because it was a beautiful echoey sound there. Mm -hmm. And I would sing. I would do little performances. I'm sure I sang church songs. That's all I probably knew. But I could hear my voice in this echo chamber. And I just thought, oh, I can see hundreds of people out in the audience. And so I would do this little concert. And then when I was older, my neighbor kids would come over and play. And I always made them, they'd want to play school or house, the games you play, but I would make them play show. And we'd strung a blanket across a clothesline in the basement, and that was the curtain. And I would be Carol Burnett, and uh, they would have to be my guest stars. They were never allowed to be Carol Burnett. And I would come out, and I would host the show, and then we'd do comedy sketches and sing songs. And I just could have played that all day, all night. It was my favorite thing. And... What kind of family did you come from? Were there performers, storytellers, singers in the family? No, not at all. Um, my family, uh, farmers. My dad, after he stopped farming, he just said, you know, get a job for the government, then you'll have a, you'll be set for life, was the goal. Nobody had been to university, really. My sister went for a couple of years. Uh, and there weren't musical people in my family, really, either. But my mom was adopted, and when I actually met my mom's birth family in my mid-20s, it was amazing. Is that my house or your house? That's my house, yeah. No, regular listeners to the podcast know that I used to record in a studio, and it's still sitting there, locked up, and uh, now I'm recording at my kitchen table. So that is my husband coming in. He has a sub in his arms. He's holding it like it's a little baby. Oh, nice. Now he's walking by, and there he goes. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Um, what was I saying? We were talking about you meeting the birth family yes. in your mid-20s. Tell me about what they were like. Sister, because it was a small town, and the mom's birth family were really just down the road. It's a very long story, but she she was adopted um, because her mother died, and so she was adopted to a farming family close by. And she didn't find out till much later that she was kind of growing up with her birth brothers and sisters because she wasn't told. But when and so when we did find out, we didn't acknowledge them because it was just it was just coveted in. You know, you don't talk about that sort of thing. It's not nice. You're lucky to have a home. You're lucky to have been adopted. But when my sister um, started her own company, one of her employees was my first cousin on mom's birth side of the family. And, and they became good friends. And my sister had a bonfire one night when I went back to Ontario. And she invited all of my mom's family and said, let's just have, let's meet. And I went there and they brought guitars and fiddles and and accordions, and I'm like, oh, my, oh, you're my family. You are me. This is where the music is. Yeah. Great. And I just, uh, yeah, discovered that side because there was no one else that had the same drive to find an artistic, creative life. You've yeah. blown my mind. See, I knew that there was a lot that I still had to learn about you. Wow. Does that, does that make you think about things, uh, look at things like nature versus nurture and what we're born with in a, in a different way that it teams, whatever, that, that meeting of, of your biological family? Well, it is, it is interesting that my two sisters and my brother, like they, uh, who I grew up with, with the same parents, how come I just had this 
savage hunger to get out and to have want more, you know, I think I would have, you know, exploded or been super depressed had I stayed in the small town and just got married and had kids and been a nurse or a teacher or, you know, like everyone, those were sort of the only options back in the 60s, be a secretary, work for the government. Um, I just would have died. My soul would have died. But why did I have this hunger? I got to get out there and find my tribe. It's somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I, I think it is. We're born how we're born. And who knows why? You know, it, I think the key is, and I think this is what's great about how we're what how I raised my daughter and how a lot of people are now you're you're honoring who they are like show me who you are and then let's foster that that wasn't possible you know in generations before survival was utmost so I think now we have the luxury of saying who do you want to be be whoever you are let's let's find that and let's make that happen you know we're so lucky to live in this country and in this time and I know. I'm very aware and grateful of all of that. How did your journey then begin? Like, I, I'm picturing you, you mentioned Carol Burnett, but I actually, now I'm picturing Mary, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, packing a little suitcase, and you're going out there, and you throw your hat up in the air, we're gonna make it after all. Like, how did you go and find your people? You know, what were some of the steps you took along the way out of Listowel? Um, I stopped in, uh, because I still didn't have the confidence to say that I think I can sing or I'd like to be an actor. I I went into the hotel restaurant business because it was very social and I just loved people and being around people. So I spent a couple of summers working in Northern Ontario at lodges and then I, I went to Lake Louise for a couple of years and I was the head cocktail waitress at Shadow Lake Louise, la di da really good at my job and then I got really bad at my job but the day that I snapped and I just I can't do this anymore it's too hard uh, and then I moved to Vancouver with a girlfriend and uh, she stayed for a while and then she left to go traveling in Australia and I was alone in a city and I went okay now I'm gonna do this is I was 22 I think um, I'm gonna take an acting class that's what I really want to do and I signed up for this part-time acting class down in the West End and started meeting. Some of the people I met in the class are still my best friends today. We had a very rogue teacher <laughs> who's not with us anymore, but uh, just one step led to another. I studied with him for a while, and then I went on to study with someone else. And and then Sid Kozak, God rest his soul, met me. And, you know, I got an agent, got a part. Then I got another agent because that one was spending all his money at the racetrack, <laughs> dodgy, sketchy. I took, I came in the back door, street smart, you know, learned all that way. And, uh, and then I, my second job, I think, was a guest star on the Beachcombers. Mm. So it was kind of once I had that, I was valid, validated, I guess. And then the other casting directors started seeing me. And, um, yeah, I just kept taking classes, working, classes working, Asking questions, following my nose, the you know what I was saying, the hustle. Who's what's going on? Oh, we're doing this now. Okay, this is in town. Just chasing, chasing the dream. But what did you want? You know, in those in those early years when you first arrived in Vancouver, like what kind of a career did you want? Were you even thinking of I am beginning my career arc, and this is what I'm going to do, so I can get to this next thing, or was it really? Because I know that 
hustling can be very much about like thinking about the immediate, the immediate future, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it changed a few times. I think in the beginning I wanted uh, film and TV work. And of course, you know, and this is just so embarrassing, but I was just really naive. And I think a lot of people, when you start out, you think, ooh, I want to be famous. But then you soon learn that that's just empty and that that is nothing. You know, I, you have to, you know, and God willing, that thank God that I did, that you find out, no, it's, I love the work. You know, I, I love what I'm doing. So for a while I was doing film and television and I loved that. And then I did a few, some theater and I loved that. And then I was uh, in this duo and I started playing neighborhood pubs and I started playing the gay bars and doing a cabaret show. And I loved that, like really loved that. Um, I just wanted to keep working. And I don't know that I ever really said, this is my goal. A couple of times I did. I said, okay, enough. When music got crazy and and just, you know, singing in bars night after night, I I won a country music contest. And next thing you know, I'm a country music singer and I've got a song on the radio and I'm playing country bars. And part of me is going, wait a second. I I don't know if I really love this. It's not the right fit. It wasn't my people, but I was good at it. And so I stayed for a while and then I moved on and said, you know what, I'm going to leave music for a while and I'm just, I want to get a TV series. I want to just work in television. And I think that was the first reoccurring part I got. And I did three years on a show called Border Town, which was fantastic. But, you know, I started working, I doing music again. I always sing. I always can't help it. I, I keep singing, putting some sort of group together. And, um, yeah, so it shifted, and then I, I, after a while, you go, okay, enough of TV. I wanted, I want to do theater, and, and focused on theater, and was lucky enough to get cast in several shows over the years, and I just kind of bounce back and forth. It's sort of wherever, wherever the job is being offered. Um, I think there's, it would probably be good to really just focus and go. I'm only going to do this and get really good at it, but I, I kind of jack of all trades bop around yeah how do you think of of yourself now though like do you think of yourself as um a singer actor do you think of yourself as yourself as a storyteller do labels even matter to you as far as how you think of yourself as an artist i don't think labels matter because yeah i'm still doing the same thing i i you know right now i just did in, in the pandemic i did six hallmarks um but you know had there not been a pandemic i was going to be at theater under the stars playing dolly and hello dolly for the summer. <gasps> oh i know one of the grand dams of theater i was just like whoa i get to do this and no i don't get to do it yeah, rain check rain check <laughs> yeah and we'll see we'll see how everything unfolds i don't know um yeah what have been the most, can, can you tell me about some, like a, one or two of the most fulfilling roles that you've had in your career as an actor? Um, hmm. Well, yeah, there's a, doing a one woman show, I, I'd say is the most challenging and it's in some way the most fulfilling because I kind of doing, except for the film and television part, but, um, I wrote the stories, I co-wrote the songs, I produced the show, 
you know, got it up and going. Um, Can I just interject though? What, um, what listeners might not realize is that as was like specifically I'll talk about, didn't see that coming, which was the show that I saw in 2014, but this was a story about you or, or you, you drew inspiration from your own life, you know, I mean, which I would think would be even what well, one more rewarding, but also like really vulnerable. You, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position and it can also be really scary. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it, it was terrifying. Um, but, but at the same time, I'd written most of the monologues in a workshop, Wet Ink, the Wet Ink Collective, um, a wonderful writing group, um, all women, and mostly writing for theater. Now there's film courses as well. But I, was, I did probably four or five rounds of Wet Ink, and I was writing these stories. And so every two weeks you read what you've written, and I would read them to a group of colleague women that I absolutely respected and admired and watch them cry and laugh and, and reflect and just say, oh, you've got to put this on stage. So I had already the confidence that people relate to this. There's a resonance here. And it is funny and it is moving at times and poignant and true, you know, truth resonates. So that was my springboard. And then I had a great director, Carrie Sandomirsky, and just, you know, trust, I managed to get a great group around me where I really trusted my team, built Costin on piano, uh, where I just felt like, okay, we're in this together. It wasn't really, it was a one woman show that I'm out there telling my stories and singing my songs, but it really had a team feeling, you know. Yeah. Was there anything in the response to that show that surprised you? It surprised me that sometimes I'd come out after the show and there'd be people sitting in the audience, sitting in the audience weeping and just not getting out of their chairs yet. Um, people wrote me letters. People thanked me um, just for speaking their truth because they related to a particular story. The premise of the show, it was called Didn't See That Coming. I told nine stories and sang, I think, six songs, seven songs. Um, pivotal moments in my life when something happened that I didn't see coming and um, I changed because of that. And it was usually with a stranger. One was at a wedding and something happened with a stranger, a funeral. Um, a yoga class <laughs> where something was said to me or happened that I ended up seeing life differently. And sometimes I acted well and other times I didn't. And that's where you, you know, you grow and learn and you just see life a new way. Um, so it had depth and it had humor to balance that. So some of the letters were phenomenal. And my second show, which was called Sink or Swim, which is about childhood stories for adults. It's everything happened between the ages five and six years old. Mm. Uh, when we moved off the farm, and um, I just have a clear memory of that year of my life. And then it's blank. I don't remember grade three, grade four, really. But for some reason, there's that one year. It's clear as a bell. All these things happened. And... Um, and the same thing, people would write me when they were bullied by a teacher or something happened to them that they never felt that they were heard. So my goal was to just to include not like, oh, listen to me and my great stories. It's like I share with you this um, little slice of humanity. Yeah. 
I lived and it just seemed to speak to people. Sounds very cathartic. I know that I had a cathartic experience seeing, didn't see that coming. Oh. Um, what about screen roles? You know, what have been, can you, can you give me an example of a, one of your most memorable, most fulfilling roles from the screen realm? Because I would imagine that a uh, one woman show on stage where you are, I mean, you are there with your audience would feel different, would just like, you know, despite its very nature, because your audience is right there, you know, have a different kind of a feeling in you than performing, you know, surrounded by people, but on a set, you know, for, for a camera. Mm -hmm. um, oh my goodness. Uh, well, once, once upon a time was pretty amazing to be mm -hmm. on the show for seven years uh, and have your character just grow as part of this story and the journey that was pretty amazing first season my character had two nice episodes you know where we had the arc of my my backstory um that was great uh just seeing the response of how going to these fan conventions where there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of fans that just worship the show and and have that had their lives changed because of the strong female characters is why it's a lot of young girls there's all kinds of people that enjoyed it but a lot of young women that didn't feel like they fit in or found their place um they watched the show found other people on the internet at conventions and have found a place to belong really um so that was pretty beautiful um having an effect and on people's lives like that at first, I just thought the fan conventions, I didn't really quite understand them. And then after I realized why people were there, and, you know, for the most part, then it was, it was easy to get behind that. Yeah. Um, what, when you go, because I used to go to Star Trek conventions when I was a little girl. Um, and, you know, I mean, that was before they were cool and every show has. Like, <laughs> but you know what is what are some of the things that that fans want to know about you when you go when you are at conventions and I'm assuming at some point maybe you're listening to this in the future and the pandemic is over you know <laughs> and you're able to go to a convention again um, but you know so I'm assuming we're going to get back into in-person events you know but t tell me about what people want to know at, at these conventions and also because I do multi-part questions on the show what you've learned from fans at these conventions Hmm. Well, they often, a lot of them, because you do a big, um, what's it, when you're in the room on stage and they're all listening to you, you do a Q&A panel. Thank you so much. <laughs> Q&A panel, I was going to say PowerPoint. Um, you do a Q&A panel and they ask questions endlessly. They want to know often, you know, what do you think about your, what would your character have done and what would you like to say here and who is your favorite character and you could be someone else. Questions like that which I always just say, the writers did such a great job. I don't think I'm going to, you know, change what happened. Good answer, good answer. Yeah, but, but also they just want to know how I got into this um, business, um, what, uh, what keeps me going, what, what I love to do in my spare time. And I, I end up always doing kind of an inspirational, be who you want to be talk. You know, some people go, you're like Oprah. <laughs> I am not Oprah. But it's that kind of, you know, don't be afraid. Because I was really afraid 
as a kid. I was super afraid. I always had these desires, but I was really insecure and I was really shy. And I couldn't speak without choking. I couldn't sing without choking. My parents didn't even know that I sang because I was so insecure. And I just say whatever you can do to break through that fear and start on the journey of doing what you love, you will blossom and life will unfold and you'll find your people. You know, you'll be led. I, I, love, to, I love to hear that. Um, that's hard to, to do. Like what were some of the things that, that you did to break through your fear? And also like what role does, you know, fear and shyness play in your life now? Like, is it, is it always a bad thing? Um, is it always a bad thing? I don't know. I think it's a constant thing. I think mm. it's, you know, I have to sometimes still just go, oh, just relax. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, ah. but I just throw my name in the hat. I just throw my, I follow that, you know, even when we went to New York for the first time, I didn't go to New York till I was 55. You know, I just thought, I don't understand New York. Well, because I'd never been. Then I went there and went, oh, my God, I love this city so much. I'm coming back again and again. But when I went to New York and it was on a fan convention and we stayed for a week afterwards, we went to the Moth, which is the storytelling event. Mm -hmm. And I walked right up to the stage and put my name in the hat. And my partner, Chris, is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I go, and this is the size of the Commodore and it's filled with people and they pick. 12 names out of the hat and those people tell stories on stage that yeah. night I put my name in and he goes are you insane and I went we're here I have to and so I put my name in and I was number 10 picked out of the hat it's like okay you're doing it you're doing it oh and I walked on stage and I told one of the stories from my one woman show so I knew it well and honestly, it was easier to perform in front of that audience than it was to perform in front of small town Alberta because they want to laugh. They want to be entertained. We're ready. Give it to us. That's hilarious. You know, and it was just, to me, that was a, such a pivotal moment in my life because I just stood there and opened my heart and shared my tale that happened at my niece's wedding and, uh, and it brought the house down. So... That was pretty cool. That is, that, I mean, I'm familiar with the moth. It's very famous on public radio. So <laughs> I, I can't, I had no idea. See, I'm learning so much. Thank you for talking with me today so I can learn so much more about you. Um, and then when I have you on again, I will reference it in that intro. Um, one more question about Once Upon a Time. Uh, because, I mean, some of the first articles that I wrote, you know, for the West Ender, uh, nearly 10 years ago now were about once upon a time. And uh, I mean, I, I just, it was such an important show. It was a trailblazer in a lot of ways, as far as women, seeing women in that, in that kind of way um, and seeing, you know, all the, the kind of the nuances of good and evil. Um, but if you were to play a character on that show who wasn't granny, what other character would you be interested in inhabiting? Ah, just like the conventions. They always yes. You are a true. Um, <laughs> I got to get one in there. I got to get one in there. I think was super interesting. Like, of course, Lana Perea as the evil queen. Fantastic. But I loved Robert Carlyle as Rumpelstiltskin like, and Mr. Gold. 
fantastic. He, he's just an amazing actor and an amazing human being. And I love the, the diversity of, you know, who the Rumpelstiltskin, who was so evil and funny and playful and trickster. And, and then Mr. Gold, who was just stoic and powerful. Oh, and he was a dad who made bad choices. I mean, that's also like... Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's, what is the, the best piece of advice that you have been given in your career that you either listened to at the time or didn't? Oh, well, the one I always, I, I think is how what's kept me going. Um, and just one thing I want to say is I went back to the moth the following year, threw my name in the hat again and got picked again. Like, that's insane. Why did that happen? And then I went back and did it a third time because I won that second time. And then you go back for the finals. So I did it three times. It was just like, I love this city so much. It's my one woman show to New York and performed it at the solo festival. So it's just my saying is like leap and the net will appear. That's actually the, uh, that, that's the, um, that's my husband's business model for our company. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's based on, he's taken it from Ray Bradbury, who would say, jump off the cliff and then build your wings on the way down, which is beautiful. Um, but I would say not a good business plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm lots of money on those leaps. I'm just... <laughs> Into situations that if the net doesn't appear, I'm not going to die or go to jail or be financially flattened. So, but yeah, and enjoy what you're doing. I'm, I, that is for me, I have to keep doing that, reminding myself just are you having fun? Because it'll probably be better. The work will be better. Everything will be better if you're having fun. You know? What is a Beverly Elliott role? <laughs> someone just said that to me on facebook the other day they go oh yeah i went to that audition i'm not surprised you got it i saw it and thought oh that's a beverly elliott role interesting <laughs> it was <clears throat> right now in the climate we're in the role um it was a hallmark role but kind of warm caring a little bit of humor funny this was a role um the movie's called breakup boot camp <laughs> it's of course it is. Of course it is. And we're, we've all gone to a boot camp to um, get over our heartbreak. But my character, it's the second time around. And I'm just making wisecracks and trying really hard, taking care of everyone else. Um, not very good at all the physical things that we're doing. We had to do an obstacle course that I was terrified. And, uh, you know, also dancing and all these fun things. Usually I get cast as someone in a caring position, um, playful, lighter, warm, that kind of thing. When are you happiest in, in a role? You know, what needs to be present in a role for you to just feel like you're firing on all cylinders and you feel so, I don't know, I'm not an actor clearly, but I just imagine that there are some roles that just make you feel so invigorated and happy. Well, it's good when they're well-written, you know, when it's something that you can really just clearly have an investment in. And um, it, it and it's invigorating when you're working with people that are open to being playful, uh, it just where there is a, a genuine connection. People are 
because um, I've worked with people that, you know, they just don't want to share their energy. They're just not the whole scope, you know. But when you're on a set where people are actually grateful to be there and um, happy to be there and just the energy is lighter, you can go anywhere. You can go serious. You can go into, you know, an argument. But as long as the energy is, is feels like it's not shut up or elite or, you know, you're just a... You know, I, I don't know. I just negativity, I have such a tough time with. Mm-hmm. And it seems to overpower the positive. If someone, you know, is higher up on the call sheet and they're bringing in a terrible energy, it's it can be really hard. I've been on a couple of films years ago, TV movies, when the lead actress, who I had a lot of scenes with, did not like me. For whatever reason, did not like me. And... Um, it was so hard. I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden a cup of tea would appear from a crew member and going, you look like you might need this. Thank you. And someone oh. else started massaging my shoulders, just passing by. Thank you. You know, it was clear. And I just told me everyone else is seeing I'm not insane that I'm feeling this. So yeah, that can be hard. So I really and truly, I just love working. I'll do anything. Uh, as long as I don't have to take my clothes off and people are kind, you know. I'm at this stage of the game, because I'm a character actor, right? I'm right. A- so I do play the best friend, the nurse, the funny gal at the florist, the waitress, all of that. So you, you've said you've been in the industry for 35 years? Yeah. I think 82. 80- So what have you seen change as far as how this industry treats women? Like, do you think that this, that this, like we're in a good place right now? You know, what kind of changes have you seen in that time? I think we're in a better place for sure. For sure. We're in a much better place. Um, The eighties were tough, you know, Um, my kind of person that I am was not considered for anything except service roles, you know? Um, but I, I have been lucky because I, I say that. And then, you know, I did three years on Border Town, um, which was great. Uh, but the 80s, so much, you know, that when it was just about sexuality and how much, how skinny you were and how beautiful you were and the look that they had, the stereotypical look that they had for women. I never, ever fit into that. So I always felt a bit, you know, on the outside. But what I love now is you can see every size and shape and color of woman in every kind of role. And I just champion that because not people are never, some people are never going to be that. You know, I never was. I've always had a few extra pounds. I've always, you know, look like I look. Um, I like how you look. Thank you. I like it a lot. I've made it work. I've, you know, I've made it work. But yeah, I love that um, that women are playing all different kinds of roles too. It's not just the stereotypical sex symbol that it's changed. I know we have a long way to go and to get equal wages and everything. It's going to be a constant battle, but it's moving in the right direction, I would say. That's good. I'm sorry if you're hearing some pounding on a door right now, but I locked my cats up uh, and they are now throwing their bodies against the door. So this is what happens. Like, 
I get no peace here. I get no peace. All right. Are you ready to play some favorite things? Uh, yes. It's a very complicated game. Uh, it was originated by my daughter, who you met uh, at a couple of times over the years. Um, she's now 10. Uh, so the, the idea is that I will ask you your favorite thing of a thing, and then you will reply without thinking about it too much. Very complicated. Great. You ready? Mm-hmm. Favorite karaoke song. Landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? That's a great answer. And now I will ask you just to answer every song singing. I'm kidding, but if you want to, that's great. Favorite cartoon character. Mm. Oh, Fred. Mm. Wilma. No, she didn't come up for all 140 plus episodes. And then both you and Terrell Rothery in the last couple of weeks have mentioned Wilma. Wilma. Yeah. I feel for Wilma. I mean, she put up with a lot. She put oh. up with Fred. And Betty, I love. <laughs> Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in yet? All those years. Well, it's not my favorite to watch, but I, all those years of Supernatural. I never got one part of Supernatural. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. But favorite one to watch? I don't know. I don't know. I can't think. That's um, fine. That's, a, that's an acceptable answer here. Um, although just know that my daughter will scorn you later for not answering. Oh, okay. <laughs> favorite one to watch that I watched that I never got a part in. Yeah. Or that you haven't got a part in yet. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I watch a Vancouver series right now. Okay. I will send you a watch list for it for you. Yellow Milk is supposed to be great. I'm going yeah. to watch that, and I never got a part in that, but I hear it's wonderful. It's fantastic, and you'd be a great fit. Okay. Okay, that, that's a great answer. That's a good answer. Okay. You, you pulled it out, Beth. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on Big Sky. Sounds looks like a show that I could be on, but yeah. Mm. Favorite junk food? Oh, what is that crack? popcorn that has caramel and cheese together chicago mix oh i just want to swear at it because it's i i can eat one of the giant bags if i allowed myself so good it covers a lot of care categories of junk food yeah i don't know what mind put cheesy popcorn and caramel together in the first place but it really works Oh, God. And then if you have chocolate on the side, just to fill that last category. <laughs> but I haven't eaten like that since October. I'm so healthy right now. Yeah, and I hope that us talking about this will not make you just be like, that's it! No. I need a bag of... You know what? You should also indulge yourself every now and then. Yeah. I, I think. I'm a good influence, apparently. Black licorice. Oh, that um, Dutch black licorice that's even leaning in the salty direction. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Good answers. Good answers. What was your favorite TV show when you were 10 years old? Hmm. 
1970. Um, it was probably Petticoat Junction. Really? Do you remember Petticoat Junction? I've, see, I've seen it in, a, in syndication. It's cute as a button. So cute. Yeah. Makers and, and um, Beverly Hillbillies, they all kind of led into each other's worlds. I'd love that. Favorite scent? Cottonwood. You smell it in the spring and you're walking and all of a sudden you just get a waft and it's like, <gasps> there's that smell and it's cottonwood. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that smell at all. Not you because of how it smells. But because when it's out, it means it's allergy season. <laughs> oh, okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay, this is, this is your, I won't subject you to these much longer. One more question, one more question. Favorite vacation destination? Because you're a camper, so there's that, right? Like you love camping, but you also just discovered New York recently, so. Yeah. Um, I, I love both of those. Camping is always a lot of work too. It's not just, I think vacation destination, it's just a beach. You know, I, I, I am open to exploring more beaches. I've been to Mexico so many times and I know I'm going to go back again because I'm going to be doing a cabaret show there. Mm. But uh, um, I would say, you know, a beautiful hot beach in Mexico <clears throat> until further traveling. I, I need to go to Greece. I need to go somewhere in the Caribbean. Oh, and Greece, you could go to Santorini or Mykonos and lie on beaches there. You could just lie on all sorts of beaches in, in the Greek islands, so. Yeah. Okay. okay. I love that. For me, a vacation is that. I, I love, try, I need to go to Ireland too and explore Dublin, but right now I would say, you know, my favorite is, that feels like a vacation because when I am on a beach, I really do relax. That's good for me to relax apparently yeah <laughs> i i don't know how to honestly it really just takes like my cats to lie on me and maybe with one of those um weighted blankets on and then i have no choice but to just lie there nice 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 do you ever have what the fuck this is actually my life moments in your career you know, like, and if so, when do those happen for you? When that, when, when I've went, oh my God, this is me living this? Yeah. As a positive, not like a, what the fuck? This is my life. But more like, what the fuck? This is actually my life that I get to do every day. Amazing. Um, oh gosh. Well, I had it. Um, I had it when Clint Eastwood said my name at the Academy Awards. Holy that I don't remember the next 15 minutes. I left my body and I feel like I was on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. It was kind of, that was amazing. Um, uh, I know that it was when I, in New York, when I did the moth, when I took my one woman show to New York, um, and I found out afterwards, my director had invited all her, her artistic New York down from, um, what's that, Alphabet Soup area, uh, Andy Warhol-esque kind of 
friends to come and see my show, which was called Sink or Swim, about me growing up in Listwell and the farm. I didn't know till after the show who was in that audience, but I know I looked at and thought, that's a lot of eclectic looking people, <laughs> like bow ties and and um, thinking that, you know, it was my cousins and some of their friends. And But it found out afterwards it was all this you know, New York artistic community and who loved it and said wonderful things and, and went back for coffee with her afterwards and talked about it. And, and I, so that was like, that's insane that that's happening. But then at the same time, when I took my show back to Blythe, Ontario, and played at the Blythe Theatre, and we sold out for a week, and the audience was filled with anybody I'd ever known or knew my parents, and after every show, I stood there, you know, the town that I ran away from, the town that I couldn't get out of fast enough, because it was small-minded in my mind, you know, and it didn't have enough, it had a ceiling. And then to go back and do my one-woman show and have people come out of the woodwork. I knew your dad, or I was your grade four teacher. I know you were. Oh, my God, Mrs. Smith. You know, um, and to come and just stand there and, and afterwards. And, you know, that was phenomenal because I, it was a full circle moment to go home and, uh, and bring my work home. Yeah, and have it received. Well, let's have another full circle moment then. We started with time travel. Let's end with some. So if you could go back in time to your earliest beginnings as a performer, um, and I'm picturing you in your porch area with your little doll, dollies lined up and you're, you're doing your shows, what advice would you give yourself? Or would you say anything at all? Hmm. Um, I would say don't be so scared. Just have more fun. Have more fun, and and I think I think if anything, I would say get something to the line of you know, go get prop more training. You know, I winged it a lot on the way, and uh, and I think there is something to be said about you get. A nice couple of years of solid training it would open up the networking you know I, as I said I always feel like I learned it on the street even though I have studied with a lot of people but yeah yeah do you think you would have listened to yourself <laughs> <laughs> probably not because it was always like oh really we can I can do this today sure you know, I often say yes to things and then go, now I've got to learn how to do it before I show up at work. I think most people do, you know, even with once upon a time, they said, can you knit? And I went, yes, I can knit. Thank you very much. Then when they called to give me the job, they said, yeah, you, you got the part. You start next week. Oh, and by the way, can you knit? And I went, yep, I can knit. Great. Hung up the phone, somebody to teach me how to knit. <laughs> you know, teach me how to knit now. <laughs> so we were camping on Tofino when we went down to the, the wool store in Tofino and, and bought everybody. There was three moms, three daughters. We bought six balls of yarn and six sets of needles and one mom knew how to knit and that's what we did. It was raining, so we spent the next two days knitting. It was great. They hired a knitting professional every time I was on set <laughs> and rip apart what I had just done and redo it, you know, on it's showbiz. But uh, yeah, you just say yes and then you figure it out. I did a show in Shamanus called Glorious playing Florence Foster, 
Florence Foster Jenkins, um, you know, the woman, the socialite from New York who thought she could sing, but she couldn't sing. Mm. Meryl Streep played the role in the movie, mm -hmm. theater production of it. And um, I had to sing in French, in German, in Italian. I had to sing opera. I had to pretend I was a socialite from New York. Like none of that was in my wheelhouse. But by the time the show was hit the stage, something worked. You know, it was, once again, we, we had standing ovations every night. It was one of the highlights of my theatrical career. It was so fun. It's called acting for a reason. Pretend. I'm pretending. <laughs> Beverly Elliott, you are so delightful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? Well, I've, uh, I'm on uh, the Dwarves from Once Upon a Time helped me set up my accounts way back. They said, you need to be on Twitter. You need to be on Instagram. So my handle is the Real Beverly, R-E-E-L. B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And then um, I'm on Facebook and I have a website, BeverlyElliott.com. There you go. That was amazing. Thank you so much. You're so wonderful. Thank you for doing this. I will now go and listen to other episodes like a ding dong. I haven't been, but um, now I will. And thank you for keeping the community connected and alive and um, valued. That's, That's so nice. Well, you have 142 other episodes to listen to, so you get working on that. Okay. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Beverly, and thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe if you are so inclined. Leave us a review. They help us find even more listeners. Five stars, no less. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mira Furminger. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Devlet for the original music. YBR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca, where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP ACTRA.